Welcome to the Uncivilized Podcast. My name is Trevor Bohm and I will be your host. Every week or so, I try to get myself a fascinating human on the mic for you, someone who looks at the civilized world just like you do and says no thank you. Someone who wants to break some rules, to lead, and to bring their unique vision into the world. Someone for whom the status quo simply will not do. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I do. Please dive in. Hey folks, welcome back to the Uncivilized Podcast. This is Traver Bohm, your host. I'll tell you a quick story. I think it was probably, God, 15, 16 years ago that I saw a Black Belt magazine cover with a man named Tony Blower on it. And since then, I studied Tony, studied his work, was a, a fan as a martial artist and a fighter. And maybe seven, eight years ago, I got to go to a workshop that he put on specifically for CrossFitters. I remember I came, I went with my buddy Zeb and, and I'm like a little bit of a fanboy. I was all nervous. I like shook his hand was like, I've been following you for years. And since then I've created an amazing relationship with Tony. I was actually one of his uh, self-defense coaches for a number of years and love his insight, love the way he looks at the world. He is a savant. He is a wild man. He doesn't live by anybody else's rules, but yet is a deeply, deeply caring man. I think that what will probably get missed in this interview is just how big this man's heart is and how much he actually cares about humanity. But what we're talking about today is fear. We're talking about managing fear, understanding fear, and using fear. Now, insight into Tony, he has been in the fight world, the martial arts world, the self-defense world for decades so he's going to drop some F-bombs. He's going, to, he's going to go off on some tangents, and he's going to let his mind wander. So hang on for this one. Tony's a remarkable human, and I know that this conversation is more than applicable now, right? When we're, we're all dealing with so much fear, when any day some new ordinance can come down or new, or new, new law, new rule, new, new cultural weirdness. Uh, as Tony says, like we're living in clown world. And so having a grasp on our inner lives is even more important now than it's ever been. So hang on for this one. As I said, I love this guy. He's fucking hilarious. He, uh, he came in and spoke to the nation a couple months ago and he went to grab something in the middle of that call. He's just like, Oh, hold on. I'm going to get up. And when he left the room, we just all, I was laughing. I was like, you guys, as an interviewer, it is my job to try to have control and guide the guest. And I have no idea what's going on right now, what's happening, what he's going to come back, back with, or what he's going to say next. And you'll, you'll get a sense of that in this podcast interview. If you get value out of this, please do me a favor. Go to iTunes, go to Spotify, go to wherever you're listening, and please leave us a review. I know it takes like 90 seconds. And it really helps promote the podcast and the podcast numbers are growing. And as I've said from the beginning, my goal this year is to turn Uncivilized into a household name for men, for women, for everybody who's looking to live the way that society is asking us not to live. So please help me in that. All right, here we go. Dive in with Tony Blauer. Coach Tony Blauer, welcome to the Uncivilized Podcast. I really appreciate you joining. I personally know how fucking busy you are, and I know how much stuff you have going on, and, and, and you and I go way back. So this is truly a pleasure for me. For people who don't know the very few people who don't know who you are and what you do in the world, would you mind dropping us a quick like 
this is how I fuck shit up. And for everybody listening, this is going to be a wild podcast. We have no <laughs> idea where this is going to go. <laughs> I, I never know what I'm going to say or what comes out of my mouth. And But but yeah, so uh, how do I describe what I do? I mean, on one hand, I, I just make good humans safer. You know, since 1980, uh, I got asked what I want to do by a venture capitalist. And I said, I want to make the world safer. And he looked at me like, whoa, like that's a grandiose vision. And I was like confused by that. But that's all I've been doing uh, since, you know, but I started teaching self-defense in 1977. One of my students got his ass kicked in 1980. And the way he described what happened, I had this epiphany that we teach self-defense wrong. We teach self-defense like like in the way you would learn how to box or kick or do or play guitar we we weren't we we weren't teaching people to to look at things at that 30,000 foot view of like okay what's our mission what's our vision so in a self defense situation what's your mission your vision is to get this well it depends on what you're doing but in general is to have the safest outcome possible, the most moral, ethical, legal outcome possible. Well, if all you're practicing is neck breaking or knee breaks or gouging the eyes or how to get over a headlock, you're predisposing yourself to do physical things to solve emotional, psychological problems. Mm. Anyways, without going too crazy down a rabbit hole too fast, when when uh, he lost that fight, my epiphany, my light bulb moment was, oh my God, we, the self-defense world, we don't teach from a holistic uh, scenario perspective. Mm-hmm. And your scenario changes if you're a cop, if you're military, if you're a soccer mom, if, you know, if, if it's if it's you or me, our scenario will dictate what we do next. Who are we with? You know, is this a drunk? And I was, I make this joke, you know, getting out of a headlock, getting out of a headlock in a jiu-jitsu match and getting out of a headlock in a cave in Afghanistan are really different. Getting out of a headlock in a jiu-jitsu match and getting out of a headlock during an abduction where someone's trying to pull you to van to drag you to secondary crime scene are different. We can argue that the biomechanics of the headlock are the same, but the threat, the danger, the awareness and preparedness and the risk change everything. If I know I can tap out or there's, if this guy starts to do something illegal, a ref's going to come in and go, Hey, uh, no, no fish hooking. You can't, you can't pull the guy here like this. Yeah. So what we created the first evidence-based scenario approach. And I say evidence-based because we look at it, we look at real incidents, CCTV, body cam, helmet cam, phone, and then we build stuff back there that integrates physiology and psychology and kinesiology. So it, it, it works regardless of which gender you are or whether you've got training or not. And you've trained with us. So you, you know how powerful our, our, our system is. All of that started in like 1980. Mm. I say it with a little bit more elegance now, because it's, you know, uh, almost 40 years later, 37 years later, but for 10 years, I did force on force scenarios and during those 10 years, um, what emerged out of that, if you look back at like, what was our incubator period? During the 80s, I developed the SPEAR system, which is an acronym for spontaneous protection, enabling accelerated response. It's the study of the start of Lynch and how to weaponize it in self-defense. During that period, I, I, I really refined force-on-force scenario training. That inspired and spawned the, the Hydra suit, a force-on-force suit. Um, so we have that uh, training division, we've got the equipment division, and then all of all of that, when I was doing the force on force stuff, 
I, I would look at people who I thought were going to do well and surprise me how quickly they turned and rolled or tapped out or pushed away the danger. And then I'd look at, because we would do these almost like fight club scenarios, like like every every month we'd run them for, for years. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like a, not an underground thing, but people from different martial arts or different backgrounds would come in, sign a waiver. And it was my laboratory. And then you know, we'd look at something and I'd go, how do you think she's going to do? And you go, ah, oh, she looks scared shitless. She's sitting in the corner nervous. How do you think that guy's going to do? And he's walking around with a little swagger, cauliflower ear, busted nose. And, and he just like collapsed in a scenario. Mm. And I started really thinking about that. And I realized like the, the missing link here was fear management. Mm. And I came up with this this expression, uh, uh, polished over the decades, but the people who manage their fear manage to fight. Mm. The people who manage their fear manage to fight. Doesn't guarantee victory, Mm -hmm. but it guarantees that you're in the fight. And what does that do to your dignity Mm. post-fight? So if you lost a confrontation, but you stayed in the fight instead of turning or cooperating or, or, or just lying in, in a fucking fetal position while someone kicks the shit out of you. Sure. And there's a lot of research on that, man. Like, sure. like people who are vi- victims of, of violence who were trying to fight back are like, they go to work the next day, you know, where others are like afraid to go out. Sure. So anyways, I'm, I'm all over the place, but this is, this is what I've been doing for, for, for my whole life. You know, one of the things, thanks for sharing that. One of the things that was so attractive to me about your work was the emotional component, right? The actual, like, nothing's going to work if your mind is just obliterated or if your heart rate's 200, if you're just, if you're lost. And I think you said that your program is what, is what helps people survive the first three seconds or four seconds of the fight. Then they get to bring in whatever other training they have beyond that. Tony, how did you, how did you hone in on something that's so ethereal, like emotion, psychology? <laughs> you can tell me like your elbow lands here and I get that. That's concrete. That's tangible. But how did you really develop and, and start to play with or orchestrate an emotional experience or a fear-based experience? That's a great question. And uh, just FYI, I've been on like like 250 podcasts and no one's ever asked me that thanks so so uh so that's 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 cool man um so let me think about that part of it is the fact that i grew up afraid of everything Mm. and and uh but i was like like if i was afraid this is what i looked like right and if i was afraid at bat this is what i looked like and if i was afraid boxing this is what i looked like in other words there are people who are afraid who don't show up. And then there are people who are afraid and show up. And I didn't realize that I was managing my fear to participate, but I was distracted by my fear. It was don't strike out, don't strike out as opposed to, Oh fuck. Yeah. Like fucking burn me in a fastball here. It was, it was, a, a if I was wrestling, I hope I don't let down the team. I hope I don't let down the coach. I hope I don't get, I hope I don't lose. That voice was so loud in my head, man, that it was fucking distracting as shit. I remember there's a story I tell about. I was a very, you know, I was a really good skier, competitive. I raced. And uh, and I remember years later, and you might have even heard me say this, if I think I told my ski story at, at the first seminar you did, where here I am wiping out 
race after race after race, but I was like one of the best skiers on the team. I was a, I was a ski instructor. I competed. I was fucking good, but I always wiped out. I always caught a tip. I was always skiing too hard. This is 1975-ish, right? And and uh, big race, I wipe out. And I was thinking about this later when I was putting together the No Fear program, which is which is all about, you know, understanding this. You asked me a question about emotions and, and that how you feel influences how you think. Mm. How you think influences how you feel. Mm-hmm. Together, those influence what you do. Mm-hmm. Right? So... I can say, hey, dude, like you did Thai boxing, you know, elbows. Mm-hmm. But if I put you, you know, in 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 the ring with like the most dominant Thai boxer in the world, and you're like, this guy's going to fucking split my head open like a coconut. And I'm yelling, oh, throw your elbow. You're like, <laughs> you're like, like, you're not, you don't even hear me. You're just trying to like, right. you're just trying to survive the round. Survive. Yeah. And so... What I realized is that most people practice and hone just their physical arsenal, not realizing that there's an emotional psychological arsenal and they come first. We always, you know, one of our, one of our, our principles in learning our, our brand of self-defense is that what we say, first of all, we say, you know, violence doesn't care what martial art you study. Ooh, I love it. And neither does physiology, yeah. right? So if I'm a jujitsu guy, and you're a Thai boxer, and here's a boxer, and here's a Taekwondo guy, and here's an MMA guy, and we're all sitting in our cars waiting to go, and our cars are all like, you know, 67 Mustangs souped up. We're all good drivers. And then a truck runs through a light. The guy falls asleep at the wheel or his brakes go out. And we look up just as this like, you know, giant rig runs into us. The karate guy's not going, fuck, you know, he's not doing a rising block and the boxer's not going shit and trying to bob and weave. All of us, regardless of the physical training that created our skill sets at the highest level, all of us are doing this at the same time. Mm. All of us are going, fuck, it's called the start of flinch. So that's what I mean when I say physiology doesn't care what martial art you study. Right. Now, still answering your question in some sure. weird cryptic way Brilliant. is, is, is in the eighties, I was doing drills where I was always trying to like, like how close is too close? How many people's too many people? I remember doing once a, 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 a scenario with makeshift gear where I had six guys attacked me and I told them all, I said, guys, they were all my big experienced students. We put on like hockey helmets and hockey gauntlets and Taekwondo chest guards. And, you know, we look like Mad Max, like a scene out of Mad Max, because I didn't have my high gear at the time. Right. So visualize that. And I said to them, I said, guys, you need to get control of me, throw me on the ground and fucking kick the shit out of me. And I'll yell when, when to stop, but really come after me. Cause I'm going to fucking try not to go to the ground. Mm. And my ego is 1987 ish. My ego was like, because there was like students watching. It was one of our, our fight club weekends, you know? Mm. My ego was like, wouldn't it be cool if these guys couldn't get me down? Like, I, I and this is a neat thing. You, you, you know, in performing, you got to believe in yourself. So I'm like, this will be cool, right? And I'm visualizing like almost like, um, 
was in the uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes movie, movies with uh, 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 Downey, where he's visualizing the fight scene. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the fight scene happens. I'm like watching these guys. Because well, when we would do our scenarios, it wouldn't be like tap gloves and move. Mm-hmm. they would create a scenario. It was very cool. Well, we were doing very innovative stuff in the 80s. And still to this day, we're, we're like the preeminent scenario design company in the world for military law enforcement. And um, it was so cool. They would go huddle and go, okay. And then they would tell me, you're, you're at a bus stop. You're at a bar. You're at your home. And, and you would have to work through a scenario so there was always like movement and dialogue and so i might say dude go stand at the bus stop uh you're alone uh those two guys walk up to you and you're like hey man you're not from around here you wouldn't like throw a round kick to the guy's head yeah you have to go uh yeah i'm visiting a friend it was like it was like improv class meets you know sudden violence right so um and uh these six guys like, I thought I was just going to fucking decimate them and I was going to do something super cool. And I got my ass fucking kicked. I mean, I got one I got one shot off on one guy. It was a short a short hook as he came and grabbed me. I fucking hit him. And then they swarmed and I grabbed one guy. And on the way down, I got one headbutt in. And then uh, 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 they we're, were wrestling. It took them almost two minutes to completely restrain me, which is a long time. Yeah. I was scrambling but like there was no like back kick there was no like drop an elbow there was no clean palm strike it was horrible right and when i when i finished it it was like it was like that's what i that was the experience what what i was what i was trying to define for everyone i taught is what's the emotional psychological experience in a high stress situation Mm. versus Okay, these are the physical tactics. When this guy steps here, you move to two o'clock, sweep his leg, he goes down here. Remember, stay outside this. Yeah. Like those are principles, but they go out the window and there's where well, you know this from like like battles so like no, no plan survives first contact, right? So you want that resiliency, you want that endurance, you want that. Now, last part of that is the entire time, every fucking minute of my existence, including today, like I'm going. I'm I'm flying to the East Coast to go talk at a a very famous sports convention about fear and fear management. I'm fucking nervous about it. Mm. Here I am, one of the fear management experts in the world, and I'm going to get up on stage in front of a bunch of really smart people, PhDs, this and that, people that I I look up to and I'm going to be meeting for the first time, and I'm nervous. So I got, do I have, do I have stage fright? Do Do I have fear of public speaking? Fuck no. But because I've got good self-awareness, I recognize that I'm nervous and I know exactly what I'm nervous about, which means I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the thing is the whole time when I was a skier, when I was a wrestler, I didn't know why I was nervous. Yeah. I connected here, and this is the big this is the big bang moment. Sure. As a kid, if I went, oh, who do I want to invite like to that dance? I'm in high school. Oh, there's Lucy. She's like, she's gorgeous. I'm in love with her. She doesn't know it. And hey, who are you inviting? I think I'm going to ask Lucy. Lucy, she's like the hottest chick in school. You're not. I'm like, and then I'd see her in the hallway and I'd go, hi, Lucy. Hi. (laughs) Hi, Tony. Right. 
Right. Hey, did you ask her to dance? Uh, no, time wasn't, you know, and then never asked her. Right. 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 Um, but I didn't know why was I so fucking nervous? And we could say, oh, fear, rejection, self-sabotage, it's all bullshit. Mm. The, the, the big bang moment here was this. Back to the skiing thing. I thought I was so like, there's a part of me that said, you're a really good skier. But then I was always out of control because I was thinking about falling instead of skiing. Mm. I was thinking about losing instead of winning. Mm. I was thinking of what could go wrong instead of what could go right. And, and the line that I came up with when I was like working on how am I going to build my ski story into my no fear thing was this line. And I believe you heard me say this. If I'm so scared, sorry, if I'm so good, why am I so scared? If I'm so good, why am I so scared? Because everyone's saying you're such a good skier, you're such a good skier. Oh, maybe you'll go to the Olympics, Tony, and represent Canada. I used to live in Canada. And I'd be like, yeah, 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 that sounds great. And I would entertain that, Right. And you do this as a motivator. You got people you're going, dude, you got this. Yeah, I got this. And then the guy doesn't call back. Mm. He doesn't, you know, whether it's come to the retreat or write out the vision statement or take the break or go like enough of this behavior. And uh, I remember breaking up with, with my son's mom and, um, so I'm remarried, happily married, 27 years now. Well, I wouldn't say happily. I hope Jesse doesn't listen to this. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happily married on the roller coaster ride that is relationships. Sure, right? of course. And, uh, but I am happily married. I got a hot wife who's funnier than shit and, and sarcastic and evil, and it's hard to keep up with her. Uh, and um, we've got two girls together and my son. My son's from a previous relationship. And... I want to share this story because I think it's in line with what you're trying to inspire in, in, in men. And I'm sure women listen to your podcast too. And this applies to them. But I remember talking to a really close friend of mine who was an ex-girlfriend and we became good friends after. And I called her up like screaming about the, this psychotic relationship that I was in that I couldn't extract myself from. And, and I'm crying on the phone to her in anger. And she says to me, my God, Tony, can't, can't you just leave, just like separate? Can't, like, you, look, what, look what's going on. And uh, all of a sudden I started laughing. And she goes, "Why? you're freaking me out. Like you're crying, now you're laughing. Mm. And I said, I just realized why I can't leave. She goes, well, holy shit, good. What, what's the reason? I said, because I'm not ready to. Ooh. I'll leave when I'm ready to. And it was this, this, I got goosebumps now, just thinking, yeah. remembering this, like in the eighties, um, the, the, uh, or no, it was, no, it was one of the eighties. I'm losing time, early nineties. Um, but, but it was this idea of people do things when they're ready to do them. Now you can accelerate that. Yeah. If you cultivate self-awareness and the fastest way to develop your self-awareness is through the study of, of fear because when you're in the fear loop you rationalize that how many times have you gone up to somebody who you know is distressed you can tell it in body language is 60 percent of communication you can tell they're 
the the weight of the world is on them. They're fucking deep in. Mm. They're lost in that movie in their mind going. And you walk up and you go, hey, are you okay? Mm. And they'll go like this. Yeah, why? Mm. Why? Yeah, of course I'm okay. Mm. Right? Total denial. Mm. Well, that's no self-awareness. Because someone with self-awareness would go, yeah, I'm like, fucking, I got this movie in my mind going on where my life is in a fucking whirlpool vortex. Mm. And I don't you would talk about it almost like a narrator. Yes. This is what's going on. Mm. So how's that for nine tangents? Brilliant. I love if we could just come back to the, if I'm so good, why am I so scared? Mm. And is that because you're just visualizing the the negative outcome and you're not visualizing the win? Did I miss the connection there? Let me think about the best way to answer that. As a 15-year-old racer, I didn't articulate it that way. But when my coach said, hey, how do you feel, kid? I looked at him and I lied right into his face. I said, I'm great, coach. Mm. But I wanted to projectile vomit on him. I was so scared. Mm. I mean, I'd already pissed five times. It's We were above the tree line when he asked me that, which means for those people who don't know what that is, it's like, like it, the altitude is so high, trees don't grow. Mm. The wind is howling. It's, it's below zero. And I'm sweating. Mm with down gloves on and, and fucking I'm sweating and I'm vertically breathing and I'm like, great coach. Right. And fucking, you know, uh, uh, caught my tip three gates from the end and wiped out and got to disqualified, but crushed it. Like, you know, one of the guys, one of the timers said, man, uh, too bad you fell because you'd have won this race. You were a second ahead of the guy who ultimately won. I was always out of control. So, I think the connection comes back to the self-awareness piece where if you go mountain biking, you live in Colorado, if you go mountain biking and you're on a, a cool trail, if you're following the trail, you do pretty good. But if you start looking for the obstacles, like if you start going, watch out for that rock, watch out for that rock, like, like go driving today, but only look at other cars. <laughs> right? like yeah. like just watch that car watch that car oh fuck like you're gonna yeah you're gonna get in an accident because you're looking at the potential accidents as opposed to the openings between the obstacles yeah okay that's so emotionally psychologically like you know i mean you're a combat athlete if you're sparring going don't get hit oh shit that was close this guy hits harder than i thought oh my and you're watch out for the rope don't get cut in the corner Every, like even though you've got i make this joke when we talk about uh like uh people who ask me to help coach them with uh public speaking and the guy got a fear of, of public speaking i go no you don't they go, yes i do mm. i go no, you have a fear about something else but it's not speaking in public how do i know because you're talking to me and this is public where we're, we're having a conversation mm. no no what i mean is like like with like a large, a large group of people, what's starting to happen is when I help them peel the onion, mm. it's like, oh, oh, it's groups. So like how big a group? Like, you know, is it 10? Oh, I'm okay with 10. Is it 100? What if it's about like, what if it's 100 family members or people that are cheering you on or people that are your students? Like, in other words, when you start to define exactly what the fear is, you can do a couple of things. One is specifically identify something that's maybe missing in your training mm. that would allow you to go, no, I know how to do that now. Mm. Or you just go, oh, okay. You know, and and so if you tie, let's say rejection, I'm not going to ask her on a date, what if she rejects me? Like mm. she's way out of my league. If you 
tie that to your self-worth and your value in the world, mm -hmm. then that becomes the hardest question. Hey, you want to dance? Can I buy you a drink? Right. Because, but you don't have enough self-awareness to go like, dude, how'd you blow that date? Mm -hmm. Like, so if you're sabotaging it at an unconscious level, because you go, if this doesn't work out, I'll never be happy. Mm. As opposed to, you know, you know, if you, if you look at it, like, like your first fight as a boxer, as a kickboxer, as an MMA guy, that better not be your best performance. Right. Like, where do you go from there? Right. Right. I tell people like, you know, like, I, I don't know how many thousands of classes I've taught and, and people go, they go, Hey, what do you think your best seminar was? And I go, it's my next one. What are you talking about? Mm. My next class is my best class. Right, right. You know? Yeah. So I don't know if I'm answering your question. Oh, no, I'm just fucking awful. rambling. No, it's all good. Tony, you, I know that you're an expert in multiple things, but I think if we put it at the ground level, you're an expert in human behavior or you're a savant in human behavior. What is most surprising to you or what has been most surprising to you over the years as a studier and a, a scientist of human behavior. I think it's that awareness piece, man, that I get into so much trouble because like I can see how people's narrative or position when they're arguing mm -hmm. or rationalizing stuff, I can see that they don't see it. So I always, I make the joke, I go, well, man, you've got this unconscious bias. So mm. I can see your unconscious bias, right? Sure. But you can't. So how do you have a discussion with somebody who has an unconscious something, right? Sure. Because they can't see it. So it's it's the self-awareness piece, mm. you know? And, and uh, you know, I'll make a joke, uh, you know, uh, uh, I'm hesitating whether I should bring this up, but, <laughs> uh, but just the other day, we're having a, a heated discussion about a problem that involves like a, like a contractor and some stuff. And, uh, and she starts, we're, we're going to look at this letter and we've got a problem with somebody we hired. And I said, let's analyze the situation just like two lawyers. Mm. We're not taking sides. And she goes, I'm not fucking paying these fuckers. And I'll go to court. I go, okay, that's not the, the lawyer thing, right? Like, yeah, let's yeah. let's read this. And my daughter was in the other room. I said, I remember Olivia had one of these exercises where she had to uh, defend an opposing, you know, like a high school thing or a university thing, an opposing view you don't even agree with. Right. Right. You know, and uh, I said, let's, let's look at it through their lens mm -hmm. and then figure out our strategy from there. Mm. And she goes and makes a face and sighs and rolls her eyes. And I go, honey, you, you know how that drives me crazy when you do that. It's like, so I need to stay focused. And she's like, do what? Like no idea that she, but she's so emotional about this. Yeah. That, so if I, now I have a choice there. Oh, I can open Pandora's box and tell her she did this. But if she doesn't know she did it, where does this argument go? Right. So coming back to this thing, the hardest thing for me, and I and and it's messed up a lot of relationships. Is it's a fucking curse to see that part of somebody else. Mm. It's a curse for me because I go, like my brain's going, wow, wow, they're incredibly defiant here. That means I pushed a button here, mm. but they don't have any idea that that's happening. So how do I 
how do I help them see something they don't want to see or can't even see? Uh, maybe I'll come back to this in like 10 years. Right. Um, and it's, and it's, and it's, it's tricky, man. Yeah. It's fucking tricky. It, it is in many cases, it's cool when people are paying me corporation brings me and I just did something last week for a group of, of like entrepreneurs that were way more successful than me. And it was so cool to be able to share with them this no fear map and understanding the neural circuitry of fear and realize that I had a uh, developed, not just a skill, but I had figured out a way to turn it into a, like a script map that you could look at and go, Oh my God, I'm here. I need to go here. Mm -hmm. And even people who I think are uh, smarter than me in business that I could learn from saw that value in that. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, but those are people that are going, how do I, how do I self-actualize? How do I become a better version of myself? Mm -hmm. And so that maybe is the answer is like, how is my mind boggled when, when people are just okay with where they're at. Mm -hmm. And, and I remember, I just remembered a, a, um, who is it that said it? Colin Powell with my favorite, one of my favorite uh, quotes about human nature is, you know, he's, he said, uh, um, what the hell was it? Mediocre people are always at their best. Ooh. Mediocre people are always at their best. Yeah. And I'll go, you know, let's, let's do this. Let's learn this. Let's improve how we communicate. Let's improve our fitness. Let's our, uh, yeah, maybe tomorrow. Yeah. I, so I, I try to reinvent myself every day. Mm -hmm. which is why I can say when someone says to me, what was your best class? You've been teaching now for 40 years. Right. And I can remember like, like exciting epiphany breakthrough classes. Sure. That was fucking amazing. That happened. But, but my expectation is my next one will be tomorrow. Yeah. And I'm okay. If it's not sure. You know, I've taught classes where I didn't get to have a good night's sleep or I'm distracted by something in business or personal mm -hmm. and I'm struggling through it. And I go, this is definitely not my best class, mm. you know, but I don't want it to be my worst class. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, but, it's, it's, it's being able to self-coach yourself through life. Yeah. What did I tell you? Right. <laughs> Tony's a wild man. So for guys listening to this, please hear this. The uncivilized nation is now well over 200 members. We have 13 teams all over the world and that's growing. If you are a man, you need to be a part of a men's group. I don't give a fuck what you do. I don't give a fuck who you are. You need to be a part of a men's group. So please come check us out. www.manuncivilized.com forward slash the nation. Get in, get on a team, get supported, get celebrated, and get your life moving in the direction that you know it's meant to be. Come join us in the nation. All right, back to Tony. Tony, would you mind taking that same lens that you look at an individual who's arguing with you and deep, you know, is, is triggered or whatever it may be, and and for a moment put that on on the Western or American culture right now? Because I feel huh. like after the last year, fear is rampant. It's it's not it's not at the forefront of people's consciousness. They won't say like, I'm actually terrified of everything. Yeah. Actions are dictating that they are. Would you mind just kind of sh shedding your view on, on what's going on culturally right now? Wow. That's a hard one to unpack. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's like if I had a, if I bumped into a clown, who didn't <laughs> know they were a clown. Right. So I like I you know I joke like it's a clown world right now right? Yeah. Clown. yeah I agree with you I'm 
So if you bump into a, a clown who doesn't know he's a clown, you go, look, man, here's the thing, dude, you're a clown. And they're like, go fuck yourself. You know, I'm not a clown, this is me. There are a lot of people, like half the world, who think everything's okay. You see this, this whole thing now is like, hey, no more masks, fine print if you're vaccinated, mm-hmm. right? And then thousands of people saying, I'm not taking my mask off. Mm. You're like, well, but you're vaccinated, right? Like, and this isn't to talk about vaccine, no vaccine or whatever. This is like, it's what you said, like they don't even understand how the fear is interfering with all their decisions. Mm. It's so noxious and so subtle, but that was accidentally intentional or intentional if you believe these politicians are smart enough to manipulate us like that i don't think they're smart enough you know like i don't think that 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 biden is making any decisions i think he's told this is your speech right. do your best to fucking say these two sentences in a row <laughs> right. right and yeah. and and um but the the world's a fucking it's, it's like but it's not just america Right. You know, it's fucking everywhere. So it's weird. Like, who's making this happen? Or is it just like like this stupid momentum? If you look at like old KGB interviews about communism, about infiltrating America, if you I just posted on my story something Paul Harvey said um, from 50 years ago, which literally it's exactly what's going on right now. I mean, like 50 years ago, if you look at Orwell. And you look at you know Brave New World and stuff. You go like shit. Is it is it just everybody? But the people who are in charge have been. If you go watch Manchurian Candidate, right? Like these, everyone's brainwashed. Mm. And so, you know, if you if you're brainwashed, you have no self awareness that you're brainwashed. Right. So it's an unconscious narrative. It's a it's a very troubling place we're at. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't have a I like I literally I look at things and I scratch my head and I go, this is just insane. Yeah. Yeah. This is this is this is insane. You know, I just saw uh, uh something from 20 years ago, a guy in the news talking about Fauci 20 years ago calling him corrupt and morally bankrupt 20 years ago mm. for something he did during the AIDS pandemic mm. you know so here's this like recurring thing but he's still here and and there's you know there's people writing songs about him that he's their hero and their savior and no and nobody's like I look at stuff and I go could you be the doctor in charge of this if you also have shares and equity in the patents that that where you're making millions or hundreds of millions of dollars off of vaccines. And I don't know if this is, if this is true. So I don't want to spread shit on, on the show. Uh, somebody sent me something that said his wife is part of the national health Institute that, if, I mean, this is like complete conflict of interest and like, you know, it, it's, it's like, I'm banging your wife telling you you should break up with her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. you're like, wait a minute, like, how are you giving me no? It's not going to work out. Like, <laughs> right? But it's I need you out of the picture. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's fucked up, man. And yeah. the only, like, if you said to me, okay, Tony, you're in charge of the world, 
mm-hmm. what would you do? I might, I might honestly just say like, Hey, we all need to take a step back and everyone just needs to study. And I believe this. I believe that my life, I would be exactly where I am at 61 years old. If somebody had taught me how to manage my fear when I was four five, six, seven, if somebody had said fear is okay. Mm-hmm. Fear means that you're being introduced to a stimulus outside of your comfort zone and, and you can't, you can't experience critical thinking if you don't understand your fear. Mm. So self-awareness allows for critical thinking. Mm-hmm. Lack of awareness doesn't. Now, now I'm moving and I'm being jostled based on moving away from the fear that I'm experiencing. So when I say I'd be in the same place, I'd go like my trajectory when I was 15, my mom said, what do you want to be when you're older? I said, I'm going to teach self-defense. I'm going to develop my own self-defense system, mom, just like Bruce Lee. I mean, that's what I said to her when I was 15. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm doing, right? But I have fucked up relationships and conversations. I fucked up business deals. I've procrastinated on shit. I've waited to the last second and then rushed to do something. And so it wasn't complete. But all of those negative elements that are the tapestry of everyone's life were because I was afraid of something. Mm. I really believe that, that when you peel the onion Mm. with anything, if I say, well, dude, why didn't you do this? And you go, ah, timing wasn't right. Well, Mm. why wasn't the timing right? If you thought to do it, what do you mean the timing wasn't right? Well, you know, I just, I was busy. Well, when, when you peel that onion, it was, I, I was afraid this is going to waste my time. I was afraid it was going to work out. Mm-hmm. I was afraid that whatever it is, I really believe that. And, and it's when you diagnose and you unpeel that onion and you go, ah, that's why I said earlier, like I'm going out to go do this talk and I'm nervous about it. But I make a joke. Like I said earlier, I'm afraid of public speaking. That sounded like, that was a perfect sentence. What? What did you just say? I am afraid of public speaking. How did you how did you say that if you're afraid of public speaking? Mm. You, you understand? It's like I'm making yeah. fun. Like you can yeah. string a sentence together and you did it in front of me. You're not afraid of public speaking. When we peel the onion, it's I'm afraid that I'm gonna fuck up on stage and not get asked back, or mm. that person in the front row that I'm trying to impress isn't gonna be impressed. Right. And now that's distracting me from just just hitting that flow state that everyone wants. Yeah. yeah. When you can identify the fear, you can change the strategy or you just go, this is my fear, fuck you, and you throw it away. Yeah. Right? So, you know, using a like a, like a functional fitness model, I coach lots of, you know, CrossFit athletes and functional fitness athletes. And I remember one girl in the games coming up to me going fucking thrusters i can't do the thrusters here i go and i and I, you've heard me make this joke before yeah. i go uh, you know how's your front squat oh i'm okay and, and what about your push press yeah you hate thrusters right yeah so just do a front squat and a push press do them together yeah and and they laugh like you do yeah like all i did is break the ice of like the word thruster right had a negative connotation now it was distracting that person emotionally psychologically where if you go in there and you break it into two movements yeah. you create a different type of rhythm and just the idea of making somebody smile at how clever it is 
that don't run a mile, just run four, four hundreds that you go, I'm running 400. I can run 400 all day. And you just do it again. You do it again, helping people to, and all that is, is fear management. It's Mm -hmm. finding out what was the sticking point. But if you don't have the self-awareness to identify that, I come up to you as your coach and I go, Hey, you're ready for the next event. And the next event could be a, a, a presentation for an important business deal. The next event could be, I'm asking somebody to marry me. Next event is I'm telling somebody I've fallen out of love. I need some time. We need some space. The next event is I got to defend myself. If I can't identify the specific fear I have here, I can't create the strategy and tactic internally to go through it. And, and the big thing about fear management is it doesn't mean you get to have no fear. There's lots of things in life that you need to do afraid. And so my favorite, favorite expression to tie back full circle, what I said right in the beginning is the people who manage their fear manage to fight. And the bookend of that thought is you can't be brave if you're not afraid. Mm. I love that one, right? Because a lot of people think there's something wrong with them because they are afraid. Right. I must not be ready. I must not be courageous. Mm -hmm. Courageous people are afraid and then use that fear as fuel. Mm -hmm. So important. It's so, so important. It's subtle. Yeah, but it's, it's, you're right. It's, I, you know, I have people reach out over and over and over and over and over. How do you do a public, how do you do a Ted talk? How do you write a book? How do you, and I'm like, you do it shit scared. You just you do it with your fucking hand shaking. There's trust me, I pee 75 times before I do a live presentation. And if the day I stop, I'm gonna go to the doctor and be like, I think I'm now a sociopath. Like something's wrong with me. Right. I, I love that you're just dropping in the permission for people to feel it all. You got you gotta do it. That's the the you should never from from the self-defense perspective, which is my main business. And what I realize is that that you know a lot of people talk about physical fitness. They don't talk about mental fitness Mm. and mental fitness is this ability to go, wait a minute, I'm fucking scared here. And it's fucking up my next decision, Mm -hmm. right. Or my next performance. And then if I can say to myself, it's okay to be scared. It's not okay to shirk this responsibility or not expand my comfort zone. Yeah. Right. So, um, so yeah, you got, you've got to believe in yourself and you've got to realize that you don't ever get so good at self-defense that you go, I'm not afraid when people are trying to kill me or right. drag me to a secondary crime. That's, that's insane. Right. You should never, like you, you said about the sociopath comment, you should never step into an octagon or a ring without the respect of the danger that is mono mono fighting, mm-hmm. because then you're maybe careless. And there are a handful of people that love violence and will say to you, man, I love fucking hitting people. I love, you know, I'd be in jail or dead if I didn't discover fighting. Mm-hmm. And they are sociopaths. If that's if if that's not their macho talk, mm-hmm. you know, Tyson was is one of his famous quotes is I I want to fucking drive somebody's the, their the nose of their the bone of their nose into their brain, mm-hmm. right? Which is actually medically impossible. Yeah. But but you know, that went around and people were scared, but that same Tyson used to throw up before his fights and cry. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, well, who are you? So like, again, if, if, if I discovered, like if I was the, uh, uh, the, the, the production man, I owned a, a fight 
league. And then I found out that there was some guy who was actually trying to kill fighters. Mm. That's what he liked to do. He wouldn't fight for me. I go, dude, this is a sport, motherfucker. Right. That guy's that guy's got a family mm. or wants to have a family or he's got another job because he's not a full-time fighter. What do you mean you want to break his leg and permanently disfigure him and or kill him? Yeah. That's that's sociopath. But we're, we're done <laughs> off on a tangent here. At the at the end of the day, when I asked my wife to marry her, I was scared shitless. Yeah. When when we're having a bad stretch, I'm scared. Yeah. Right? When when my daughter said she wants to go away to college during the pandemic, I'm fucking scared. When my daughter's not home from her date, I'm scared. Mm-hmm. When I go out to go talk next week, I'm scared. Mm-hmm. I'm scared because I'm fucking alive and I want to be great. I want things to turn out great. Mm-hmm. But if I can step back and go, why are you afraid? What are you thinking about? And then um, I always tell people like, when when you are scared, you actually start the production of a movie in your mind. And that movie has you as the producer, the director, the screenwriter, and the casting director, and you've cast yourself as a victim in a horror movie that you're running in your brain. Yeah. This isn't going to work out. Yeah. This relationship is going to fuck up. I got root canal. I'm going to get my ass kicked. This business deal is going to fall through. And you're running that movie. And the self-awareness piece. So I have movies like that that start every day, man. Because I'm human. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm, I I got so many injuries from, from 40 years of fucking beating the shit out of my body. I get out of bed and I go, oh, fuck my back. If my back goes out of me before class, should I take some Motrin now? Maybe I should do some foundation training right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck it. Put your brace on. Like, And all of a sudden I go, like... In in like ten seconds, like nine movies started. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, right, right, right. And and if you're listening to this, you go, that's what your brain does. You get on the highway, you're late for a meeting, and you get on the highway, and all of a sudden you go, oh fuck! And you see the traffic. You immediately look at your watch. You look at your phone. You honk. You're doing this. I'm going to be late for my meeting. What's the what's an alternate route? And your brain starts running all these different options, mm. and you don't notice that you're vertically breathing. You're, now you're uptight and then the phone rings and you're going, what is it? I can't talk right now. And you're fucking screaming at your kid and you're. Yeah. Because you don't have the self-awareness to go. Okay. I just got ambushed by life. How am I going to manage this? And if you don't realize that the thing that's driving you the most is you thought you were going to miss your flight. And then if you missed your flight, you're going to be stuck here. And if you were stuck here, you couldn't do this deal. And if you didn't do this deal, you're going to lose this opportunity because you've, you got to see, you got to read the script Mm. and go, this, this is a bullshit script. I'm not fucking producing it. Right. And only self aware. How many times have you seen a bad movie, dude? Tons. Tons. Uh, how often have you walked out of a movie after finding parking, paying 20 bucks for fucking popcorn? When the popcorn, how many times have you walked out of a movie, shit movie? I've walked out a bunch of them. So your next goal, next time I talk to you is, hey, I fucking walked out of a movie. Why? <laughs> the only thing, this is such a heavy concept. The only thing that we can't regenerate in life is time. Mm. You got stem cell, you got skin grafts, you got a new fucking heart, a new knee, a new girlfriend, a new car. I moved, can't get time back. So when you're sitting in a 90 minute movie, waiting for it to get better because you got sucked in by the trailer, 
And you're going, okay, if I don't see some fucking tits and ass and some violence and some whatever it is, right? Right. And then doesn't happen. I've walked out of so many movies. I've turned off movies because there's a part of me that goes, dude, go do emails instead of this. Yeah. Go read a book. Go fucking work out. Find another movie. Mm-hmm. It's not going to get better. Mm-hmm. Right. And, but the ability to do that, and I'm using this as a simple metaphor, but it's an actual experience we all do. Sure. Think about this. That self-awareness is cultivated by fear management. And it's not that we're afraid to watch a bad movie. Sure. But that self-awareness, this just popped into my head like six months ago. Good fear management equals time management. Mm. That the less time I spend in the fear loop, the more time I have on the other side. Mm-hmm. And so if I learn to manage my fear, I, I, I actually am gaining time because we waste time when we're in the fear loop. Mm-hmm. There are people that, that stay at the same shitty job for five years, six years, 10 years, seven years, or relationship. Yeah. Yep. And you can't get that back. Right. And like the story I told you, that vulnerable, confidential story where my ex-girlfriend says, why can't you leave? And I started laughing. I said, because I can't. Why can't you? Because I'm not ready to. Yeah. Holy fuck. That, when I had that light bulb moment, about a week later, I was, I was ready. Because mm-hmm. I realized what was keeping me there. Yeah. It wasn't her, it was me. Mm-hmm. That's a self-awareness point. Yeah. When are you re- when are you gonna leave that shit job? I've known you for five years and you go, I fucking hate my boss, I hate my job. Mm. But you know, they pay me well. Mm. Yeah, but you're fucking miserable. Mm. And every entrepreneur that I know, when I say, when when you decided to go off on your own, and I tell them when I'm working with them, I go, the day you had the idea to do this and work for yourself, how long was it? until you made the first step. It's never the next day. Right. It's never a week later. It's always five years, mm-hmm. seven years. Mm-hmm. So my part of my, my thing, like on, on, on the business side of what I do, is if I can help people learn to manage fear and dissect fear sooner, I help them with time management. Sure. They're now doing what they want to do sooner in their life. Yeah. Think about these three questions that uh, uh, Wayne, Wayne Dyer asked, right? And I think I've shared them with you before. If you, if you didn't know where you lived and you looked at all the places you could live in the world, where would you want to live and why aren't you living there? Hmm. If you didn't know what you did and you looked at all the things you could do in the world, what job would you want to do and why aren't you doing that? Hmm. And then if you looked in the mirror and you didn't know how old you were, how old would you think you were? Have, I, I never shared those with you? No, you haven't. Aren't those fucking amazing? Yeah brilliant they're brilliant tony they're brilliant yeah so listen when i was 13 i came to california my parents had just gotten divorced my father took us to disney i'd grown up in the 60s watching black and white turn into color watching manix in the streets of san francisco and cato and the green hornet and all all those classic shows so the hollywood landscape was etched in my mind and when I got off the plane, I said, I'm going to live here one day. 
When I was 15, my mom asked me, what are you going to do? What are you studying in school? You're going to go to the family business? No, mom, I'm going to be a famous martial artist like Bruce Lee. I live where I want to live and I'm doing what I want to do. Mm. It took me 50 years to move to California because I was afraid. Mm. I was afraid. I, I recognize that. I got asked when I was 20 years, 28 years old, I stunt doubled Robert Conrad, the fucking original Wild Wild West. We became friends. He invited me. He said, come to California. Give you a job at my production factory. I stunt, or did, I stunt doubled him. He boxed at my gym every, every morning on, during this filming in Montreal. I knew he was a semi-pro boxer. We became, we were best friends. I'm joking, we were best friends. But we became friends to the point where he said, come, come to Cali if you really want to be in the movies. I'll give you a job at my place. Why didn't I do it? I was a stuntman doing small. I can say now I was fucking scared. What if I don't make it? The same Tony who never won a ski mm -hmm. race didn't move to California when he was 28 mm. for the same reasons, but I couldn't and didn't have any algorithm formula to go, dude, I rationalized it. I'm not ready. I'm in a new relationship. Uh, my dad needs his help at the, here. My self-defense business is, is really getting some traction, but in the back of my mind, I, if I had said, I'm going to stay here and still build my business too fucking scared to move to California right now. Mm. Like that's a different yeah clarity yeah it's freedom yeah self-awareness dude yeah beautiful you mind if we shift gears real quick and actually talk about your business and about sure the i'm so curious and i have been ever since i first found out about you years and years and years and years ago did you have a vision for for it being where it is now and or is it was it like build as you go and then part two yeah. of that question is, and if you can answer this, I'm not sure, what has been the drive underneath you? Like you're still one of the busiest, most prolific teachers and humans that I know, despite being quite successful, where you could go, yep, I have a whole team of teachers. They do all the things. I, I'm at the beach every day. I'm like, you know, I, I'm semi-retired, but, but you're fucking busier than I am. Right. Did you have that vision? And, and where does this drive come from? So- if you told me when I was 15, 16, 17, hey, you're going to be a famous martial artist, you're going to be in, in magazines, I'd go, yeah, I know, I can't wait. On the way to Black Belt Magazine in 1980, I pulled over the car and fucking dry heaved in the parking lot, fucking scared shitless. Like Mike Tyson, threw up before, then walked in there and went, here's, here's the system that I'm envisioning. Mm -hmm. When I was 20, I got asked by the venture capital, what do you want to do? I want to make the world safer. That's pretty fucking big. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like, uh, I'd like to open a, like a, a dojo uh, in a residential area and, and teach for it. It wasn't like, it was, I want to make the world safer. Yeah. But to your point and what you said is I have, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm, a, I'm like... Like this morning, I'm on, on calls with the United Kingdom talking about somebody about helping me with social media through another company. And, and like, I don't have like the three months, six month, uh, five year. I never, I never think that that way. I just only say, I wish I had a system. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, but, but, you know, 
like we do. We're a real company. I mean, yeah. all my divisions are we're a multi-million dollar company. Yeah. So, you know, I've got 11 trainers. We do shit all over the world. I got clients at, at times as big as FedEx and the Pentagon and stuff like that. Right. So it's not like it's not like I'm a little like artisan in a in a shack on the side of a the the road in Lucadia. And I'm like, right. yeah, go that guy does really cool paintings, you know, like right, right, right. Um, you know, I'm just uh uh and I just I just fucking go. And that's my drive is I'm like it, it comes back to what I said an hour ago is like how can I be better tomorrow? And that goes for our courses, our our we rewrite our lesson plans every year. Mm-hmm. I sit down with my team and I go, we can make this better. Mm-hmm. So the drive is just always like, how can we do better? Beautiful. Thank you, brother. For, for people who are interested in finding out more about you, your courses, your information, studying under you or, or any aspect of you, where are you hanging out these days? Where Where's the best place to send people? Depending on who you are listening to this, go to blowertrainingsystems.com, blowertrainingsystems, B-L-A-U-E-R. Uh, systems.com i'll send you the links sure. uh, uh that's our main site and you can get everywhere from there if you go to my bio and in instagram where most people are info.tonyblower.com and it'll so i teach every every day in my garage gym virtually it's an amazing course we've had people lose 20 30 pounds improve that we've had people be in like like near mugging gun situations come back going holy shit and all that and this is like virtual training yeah. I mean, the stuff we do from situational awareness to fear management to the physical drills and tactics, because you can really, I can, some people say you can't teach on Zoom. And I say, don't project your limitations on me. <laughs> I can fucking do it. If you're bored by online training, it's because you had a boring instructor. That's mm-hmm. all. And so, uh, uh, but we do, we're doing open classes, live classes. We have one day beer and bodyguard courses. We've got two hour online essentials of personal safety, just about situational awareness. So there's, everything is there. And if there's something custom you want for yourself, your team, your family, your company, just DM me or, or all the infos there. Awesome. Thank you. I mean this. Thank you, not just for your time and energy today, and you've you've come in and spoken at the nation with us as well, but your work and your philosophy and your training has been with me for a long time and through a lot of really hard things. So I appreciate not just what you do in the world, but how you do it. And, and thank you, buddy. You are my life. Thank you, sir. I appreciate thank it. you. Appreciate it, man. This is Trevor Bohm signing off on another episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please give us a share. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. And if you're interested in getting a hold of my book, Man Uncivilized, whether you're a man or a woman, please go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash the book and get reading.